Uh, we are in Mark chapter 4. This is part 3 of a four-part series called Jesus the Sower. Jesus the Sower, Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read from verses 3 through 8. This is what it says. Actually, 3 through 9. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. I'm going to read that again, because I kind of tripped over that. Verse 5 and 6. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Today we're going to focus on stony ground and thorny ground. Stony ground and thorny ground. Now go down to verse 16, and we're going to read Jesus' explanation of the stony ground hearers and the thorny ground hearers. Verse 16. These, like lot, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, and minds to understand. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I got to get used to talking to a camera again. I was just down in Long Beach doing a revival, and there were people in the room, a small number of people in the room, like eight people in the room, the worship team and the sound guy and the pastor and his wife. And so I'm, I'm used to, that was like, I got to talk to a few people. We, we've got to start doing that soon, just with a handful of people, maybe the worship team. Pray on that. Pray with, that. Pray with me on that. Uh, let's see if we can't get that going. So, the point of this series, Jesus the Sower, is that we have known Jesus in so many different ways, but God is inviting us now to know him as the sower. We've known him as the Savior, but now God is inviting us to know him as the sower. We've known him as the Lord, but now God is inviting us to know him as the sower. And the basic point of this message, I can sum it up in one sentence. To know Jesus as the sower, you must value the seed. To the extent that you value the seed, you will know him as the sower. 
He sows his seed everywhere, but not everybody values his seed the best. And the point of this whole series is that the good ground is simply the hearts of those who value the seed of his word above all things. That is the simple explanation of this parable. Now to break it down, the major burden of the teaching of Jesus, of the ministry of Jesus in general, was the kingdom of God. And especially we see this in the book of Mark, that his ministry begins in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It's interesting, when you read the book of Mark, there's no narrative of his birth. There's no uh, Mary getting pregnant and the angel Gabriel coming. You've got to read Matthew and Luke to get that story. Um, just you, get, you go to Mark, and it's just the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he said through the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you, and blah, blah, blah. And you get to verse 14 of the first chapter. And uh, Jesus is coming from Galilee, and what is he preaching? The gospel. And so this gospel, whatever the gospel is, this good news is central to the message of the book of Mark. And Jesus immediately comes preaching it. And what's his gospel? The time has come, an announcement. The kingdom of God is here, an explanation. Repent and receive the gospel, an invitation. And so this is the summary of the entire ministry of Jesus. Everything he does was to announce the coming of a time, it's now, and to explain that that time is about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is now. It's time now for the kingdom of God, and then the invitation, here's how you enter into that kingdom. The kingdom is not simply to be heard. It's not an external reality, but it is an internal reality. You must enter into the kingdom, and you must live in the kingdom, and that is the invitation of Jesus. And so everything Jesus says and does is about announcing that kingdom, explaining that kingdom, and inviting us to come into and to live in the kingdom of God. This is the message of Jesus from start to finish. Now, we said that the kingdom of God is the realm in which God is completely free to reveal his love, his power, his glory, and his grace because our hearts are completely devoted and committed and enraptured by him. And so when our hearts are completely devoted to him, committed to him, and captured by him, he is completely free to reveal his grace and his glory. So we've been talking about encounter with God, and that's what, you know, we're talking about the crooked places straight this year, and the whole theme of the first three months of this year, January, February, March, is about encountering God. But I want us to begin to think differently about encountering God. When we're talking about encountering God, we're talking about coming into the kingdom. The kingdom is the place where God is free to reveal all of his love and all of his presence and all of his glory and all of his power and all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge. When he, that moment where God reveals all of that, we call that encounter with God. God, God calls that his kingdom. God says, you just came into the kingdom. You just experienced life in the kingdom. That life, what we call, I had a powerful encounter with God, God calls life in the kingdom. And so God is actually inviting us to live in that. But the way we think about encounter with God is we tend to think about it as a crisis event. And we tend to think that God responds to the laws of cause and effect. If I pray for four hours, then I'll have an encounter with God. And then it, it, but if, if that's not enough, then I need to pray for eight hours. And we tend to think, I can't have deep encounters with God. I can't have powerful encounters with God. I hear people talk about encountering God in powerful ways, and I think maybe if I fasted more, maybe if I spent longer hours in prayer, I don't go to, go to the prayer meetings. That's probably why I'm not encountering God. And we think that what keeps us out of the, of the kingdom 
of these powerful encounters with God is our lack of performance. And central to the ministry of Jesus is to break that performance thinking off of us. There is not enough hours in your life to qualify you for an encounter with God. Like you could pray every single hour of your life from the moment you're born to the day you die, and it would never be enough for God to say, that qualifies you to enter into my kingdom. That qualifies you for an encounter. And matter of fact, Jesus did not push his disciples in that direction. Show me the place where Jesus woke his disciples up and said, time to pray for two hours. Like that's that performative mentality that we have that's been ingrained in us from the time we're young. And it's not that prayer is bad, but it's not the foundation. Jesus in his parables explains to us how we come into the kingdom. Explains to us how we enter into the, the encounter with God. How we begin to see the, faith, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want an encounter with God, Jesus is explaining in his entire ministry how to get there. How not only to enter into this kingdom and have a one-time experience of the glory of God, but how to live there. Jesus says, listen to me. If you want to learn how to live there, I'll tell you how to live there. Paul explains the kingdom of God in this way in Romans chapter 14, I believe it's verse 17, where he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is about being brought into right relationship with God, with others, and with yourself. That's righteousness. If, you're, if there's nothing between you and God, nothing between you and others, nothing between you and yourself, you are completely righteous. The kingdom of God first is righteousness, and only God can bring us into a place of righteousness because there's already stuff. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so there's stuff between me and God. I've messed up with people, so there's stuff between me and people. And I've compromised my own values, so there's stuff between me and myself. And so God has to justify me and make me righteous. So only God can bring me into the righteousness of his kingdom. And then peace is not just about the absence of anxiety in the heart. The word shalom in the Hebrew has to do with wholeness. It has to do with mental, emotional, physical, psychological, and spiritual wholeness being made well. It's about being healed from the inside out. Only God can do that for me. And then joy in the Holy Spirit, it's not just a psychological experience of elation or being ecstatic or happy the way we talk about it when something good happens. We're happy. Joy is not God making everything go well in your life so that you can be happy. Joy is deeper than that. Joy is the deep knowledge of and awareness of God's presence that trumps every trial, that's bigger than every challenge that overwhelms you in the midst of sometimes the deepest distress so that the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is something that only God can give. It's deeper. It's, we can't earn it with our prayers. And so Jesus says, if you want to understand how to come into that kingdom and how to live into that kingdom, the first thing you must understand is that you don't get in the way you think you do. First, he says, the kingdom of God it's like seed. It's seed, which means it starts off small. Down further in Mark chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows and becomes greater than all herbs 
and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? This kingdom that is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, this kingdom that is the place where God can show you all of his power and all of his glory and all of his goodness and all of his love and all of his presence, this place where your heart is completely devoted to him and there's righteousness and there's joy and there's peace in the Holy Spirit, this kingdom, Jesus says, it's like seed. It's smaller than every other seed of the earth. It's like a mustard seed. But when sown on the ground, even, even though it's smaller than every other seed, it grows and becomes great. First thing Jesus says is that you don't get there in a day. It's not this crisis event. The kingdom is not a crisis moment. The kingdom is a seed that gets sown in your heart, and it seems small, and it seems insignificant. It doesn't seem like a kingdom when it's sown in your heart because it's sown in the form of a seed. The kingdom always comes in as something so small that you might look past it and you might think it's insignificant. But if that seed is allowed to germinate and grow, it becomes great. So Jesus says the first thing you need to know is that to live in that constant awareness of the glory of God, the presence of God, what we here at Lineage call God truly among us. To enter into that kingdom life that is God truly among us, you must receive the kingdom as seed. And that explains where Jesus is going with this parable. Remember, if you're just joining us, two weeks ago I talked about the sower, the seed, and the soil. And Jesus explains the parable and says, the sower sows the word. He identifies himself as the sower and the seed is his word. But then in verse 30 and 31 and 32, he says the seed is the kingdom. So is the seed his word or is the seed the kingdom? The answer is yes. Literally, he's saying what he sows in our hearts through his words is his kingdom. Literally, he's saying, if you listen to my words and they're sown deeply into your hearts, by receiving my words, you've received my kingdom. If you receive my words, you've received my kingdom. Here's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus comes to you as the sower, and he sows his words. He's constantly just scattering the seed of his word. He scatters it. And if you receive those seeds in your heart, and you surround those seeds, and you water those seeds, and you plow your heart to make sure those seeds just sink deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. It's going to grow a crop of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's going to draw you closer and closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, you begin to recognize that you're living the kingdom life. That God becomes closer to you and nearer to you. And you begin to experience these crisis moments where all of a sudden, bam, the glory of God, like, like Paul on the road to Damascus, bam, the glory of God, or you know, Peter on the roof, bam, the glory of God. Like all of a sudden you have these powerful encounters with God, but in hindsight you recognize that these powerful encounters with God didn't start with the crisis event of God simply descending from heaven. It started with a seed. I'm becoming aware that seeds of his word that he sowed in my heart, sometimes when I was 12 years old, are bringing me to places of encounter with God and revelation today. 
Seeds that were sown when I was 14 and 15 years old. Passages of scripture that I committed to memory and meditated on over the years. Those are seeds. And every time I call that to mind and I I rehearse that passage of scripture in my heart, I'm watering that seed, reminding myself of that seed, not letting that seed grow, not letting that seed go, not allowing anything to infiltrate that seed. And if I can keep that seed and protect that seed by valuing those words... Those words take me to deeper and deeper and deeper places of intimacy and encounter with God. Seems so simple. When I first heard the word, it didn't seem like much. When I first began to meditate on it, I didn't feel anything. We're such a McDonaldized culture that we expect, expect if it doesn't happen now, it didn't work. Somebody told me, I tried meditating on scripture. It didn't work for me. It didn't work. It didn't. That's like planting a seed in the ground and saying, I expected a tree. I guess it didn't work. That's not how it works. It's not a microwave faith. It doesn't ha- it's not Burger King. It's not your way right away. That's not how it works. You don't get powerful encounters with Jesus after a few hours. You've got to actually walk with him. The kingdom is a journey. It's a path in which you walk with Jesus and you listen to Jesus and you meditate on his words and you value his words. And he takes you by the hand and he leads you to different places and deeper places and higher places and wider places and broader places. And he makes you lie down in green pastures and he restores your soul. And then he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then he causes you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but not fear any evil. There's different paths that you walk, but it's Jesus that's leading you. And so, and because of that, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, but the Lord is only your shepherd if he's the one leading you. And he's only the one leading you if you value his words, because he leads you by his words. Jesus says, the sower sows the word. If you want to know him as the, she- as the sower, you must value the seed. If you want to know him as the sower, you must value the seed. And the only difference between the wayside hearers, the stony ground hearers, the thorny ground hearers, and the good soil hearers is simply that the good soil hearers have a deeper value for the word than any of the other categories. And secondly, the good soil hearers have made sure that no other life values are able to rob them, disconnect them, or distract them from the fundamental discipline of valuing the seed of the word of Jesus. Because if I receive the seed, I receive the kingdom. I, my wife has a gift for this. You know, one thing I, I, my, my wife and my daughter and I do every night is we do our devotion. We missed a couple nights this week. Uh, Alethea and I have to catch up, but Sunny's abs- Sunny is consistent to the T. And so she, if we miss it, we were out of town and we were with some friends and so forth. But um, we read the Bible on the YouVersion app, and it's like four chapters or so. But my wife... As we're listening and reading along, we listen and read at the same time. And as we're reading and listening along, all of a sudden my wife will go, ooh, or mmm, oh. And what happens sometimes is, like sometimes I just took like a little mental nap. <laughs> like that word just, I kind of passed by that verse and I took a little mental nap. 
and I'm, I'm awakened by my wife going, ooh. And then I, wait, what was the ooh? That ooh, you know what that was? That's value. That's her saying, I value that. That's something of, oh, that's good. That's something of value right there. And she awakens me when she does that. And then I go back and I, I go, oh, what is that? And I go, ooh. I go, ooh, because she went, ooh. That value of the word. You know, sometimes we're asleep and that God can drop a word that can change your life. But we took a little mental nap. We took a little spiritual nap. We're not alert. We're not self-controlled alert and alert. And so we let the word pass us by and we need to be awakened. And sometimes our hearts are awakened to the value of the word because the person next to us is awake to the value of the word. Sometimes me valuing that word is all it takes for someone else to wake up and recognize, wait a minute, God just spoke to me and I missed it. Let me go back and catch that. So good, right? So thank you, baby, for, for being that for me. Um, so now in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about, we're going to talk about today, uh, two different kinds of hearers. Last week, we talked about the wayside hearers. And if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and get it. Today, we're going to talk about the stony ground hearers and the thorny ground hearers. Now, the stony ground hearers are actually, I would argue, probably the biggest category. I would argue that now, and, and remember, we talked about the fact that Jesus is talking to people inside the church, not outside the church. He's talking to hearers, not non-hearers. And so none of these categories have to do with people who are not watching right now. None of these categories have to do with people who are not listening. If you're listening to this message, you're in one of these four categories because you're a hearer. The only question is, what kind of a hearer are you? If after this message you don't remember anything, you're probably a wayside hearer. Okay, so, so Jesus says here in verse 5, some fell on stony ground. Now, he talks more about stony ground both in the parable and its explanation, than he does any of the other types of ground. Like the others are just quick, wayside hears. They hear, but Satan immediately takes it. And even uh, thorny ground, they hear, but the cares of this world choke it out. But listen to what he says about stony ground. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Now going down to verse 16 where he explains it. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. First thing I notice is that both in the parable and his explanation... When he talks about stony ground hearers, he uses the word immediately twice. There's two immediately's, both in the parable and in its explanation. Look at this. Um, verse 5, some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up. And then verse 6, but when the sun was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. Sorry, there's one immediately. Sorry, there's two immediately's in the explanation. Look at this, verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves. Afterward, when tribulation, persecution comes, immediately they stumble. So they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. They hit a trial, immediately they stumble. The stony ground believers are the believers of two immediately. 
There's immediate, they hear the word immediately. Like, oh, wow, whoa, praise God, hallelujah. Sometimes the stony ground hearers are the biggest amanners, the most excited about the word, and the first ones to backslide. Immediately. The stony ground hearers, and I've seen it, sometimes the, the stony ground hearers are overly enamored by their own enthusiasm. And they have mistaken enthusiasm for maturity. The stony ground hearers are hearers that are so excited about the fact that they are excited about Jesus that they think they're actually mature in him. And they hear and they say amen. And the stony ground hearers actually look around and judge these other heck of fake believers who aren't as excited about Jesus as they are. You see, I used to be totally enamored by stony ground believers. I would follow them around. I remember I had a friend who was so on fire for Jesus when he got saved. He, he was so on fire for Jesus. He was a few years older than me. And I was just enamored by him. I followed him around because I'd never seen somebody, somebody so excited, so enthusiastic about the faith. When he first got saved, he was praying night and day. And he was walking around worshiping and tears in his eyes. And he's crying because he loved Jesus so much. And I followed him around. I, I was going to submit to him. And like I wanted him to mentor me and disciple me because he was so excited. And then within maybe three months, he backslid and just walked away. And I was like, I was so confused. I'm like, but what, what happened? And when he started talking to me and telling me what was going on in his life and how discouraged he was and how this happened and, and that happened and, and this happened and, and that happened, I thought, but you're going to walk away from Jesus? I, I mean, I understand that, that, that you've, you went through some trials, but you're going to walk away from Jesus? I mean, I understand some Christians disappointed you, but you're going to walk away from Jesus? I mean, Jesus? Walk away from those Christians who disappointed you. Don't walk away from Jesus. Leave that church and go to another church, but don't walk away from Jesus. The stony ground hears, hear the word, and immediately they receive it with gladness. But Jesus says, because they have no root in themselves. The problem with the stony ground hears is they have no root. And because they have no root, they have no fruit. If you have no root, you will have no fruit. And root, the root, has to do with the depth. How deep is the seed able to go in the soil of your heart before it begins to grow? He said of the stony ground hearers that it was stony ground and there was not much earth there was not much depth of earth, so it sprang up quickly. Springing up quickly is not always a good thing. Whenever I see somebody get saved today and think they're going to be a pastor tomorrow, that's not a good sign. Saved today and want to lead a ministry tomorrow, that's not a good sign. 45 minutes after coming to Christ, they're ready to be a worldwide evangelist, that's not a good sign. It's actually a sign of pride. You need to submit yourself and be taught. 
And this is what I look for. When people encounter Jesus and they receive his word with joy, do they immediately engage in soil deepening activities? Like joining a community group or a small group? Like submitting themselves to other believers who are older and more mature than them? Like seeking counsel? Like asking people for prayer? Not just thinking they could study the Bible on their own and just be by themselves? Do they actually engage in soil deepening activities? Or do they immediately try to go and become a sower? There's no root. There's no depth. It doesn't go in deep. And because there's no depth, you can tell the degree of your depth by what happens to you when you experience tribulation and persecution. That's what Jesus said. But whenever tribulation and persecution comes, immediately they stumble. And that word tribulation in the Greek is thlipsis. It has to do with pressure. And thlipsis is pressure that has nothing to do with the word. It has nothing to do with God. It has no, it's just life pressure. Stuff happens to you. You are so excited. How come you stopped coming to church? Oh, because I lost my job, and then my mom got sick, and then my kid had to find another school, and then we needed to move to a new house. Thlipsis. It's just life pressure. Stuff that had nothing to do with God disconnected you from God. I got discouraged because of the election, and I, I didn't like what happened in politics, and stuff that had nothing to do with God disconnected you from God. That's thlipsis, pressure. But then it says pressure and tribulation, diogmos. Tribulation is pressure that comes because of your faith. It is a direct assault on your faith in Christ. When you are persecuted because of your faith in Christ. When you are rejected because of your faith in Christ. When you are mistreated because of your faith in Christ. But Jesus says, either one will do for the stony ground believer. It doesn't have to have anything to do with faith in Christ. Whether it's tribulation or persecution, it's enough to disconnect you from the word. And all of a sudden, you forgot the word that you were so excited about. Because now your full and undivided attention is aimed at your tribulation and your persecution and now the word that was spoken, the seed of the kingdom that was sown in your heart, has withered and died. Immediately. But here's what's crazy. Jesus, he explains that. What is it? Verse 17. Look at this. And they have no root in themselves. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Do you hear that? For the word's sake. Jesus says, even tribulation that does not seem to have anything to do with your faith in Christ is a demonic tool, a button that Satan pushes because he knows that it will disconnect you from your faith in Christ. Wow. So you see, Satan knows where your buttons are. And every type of pressure, every type of tribulation that you have to endure is for the word's sake. Meaning, Satan is not trying to destroy your finances, he's trying to destroy the seed. He's not trying to destroy your family. He's trying to disconnect you from the seed. He's not attacking your vocation or your job. He's not even attacking your physical body. He's trying to disconnect you from the seed. He knows the kind of tribulation that can disconnect you from the seed. And so that's the kind of tribulation he comes at you with. It's always for the word's sake. 
both tribulation and persecution. Make no mistake, there is an enemy of your soul, and he wants nothing more than to destroy the seed of the kingdom because he knows that if that seed of the kingdom, if that word of the kingdom is allowed to dwell in you richly, if it's allowed to grow in you, it's going to bring you into the fullness of kingdom life and he will have absolutely no chance of moving you in any way. They stumble. Thorny ground believers are a little different. Thorny ground believers are just like good soil believers. Thorny ground hearers are just like good soil hearers in a lot of ways. The ground is tilled. It's been watered. It's soft. The soil opens to receive the seed of the word, and the word goes down deep. And that seed gets watered. And that, that seed of the kingdom grows, and the root goes down deep. And then the stalk comes out of the ground and the branches come out of the stalk and it's just about time for it to bear fruit, but there's a problem. The problem is not the soil. The problem is not the seed. The problem is that there are other seeds in the soil as well. That is, the thorny ground hearers have received the seed of the kingdom and also received the seed of the world. And there's the seed of bitterness that's sown right next to the seed of the kingdom. And just as the seed of, of the kingdom is growing down and, and forming roots and then growing up and the stalk is coming up, there's another seed next to it that's growing down and forming roots and the stalk is coming out of the ground and that seed is the seed of bitterness. And next to it is the seed of lust. And next to it is the seed of pride. And next to it is the seed of envy. And next to it is the seed of jealousy. And next to it is the seed of gossip. And next to it is this, there's all of these worldly seeds that have also been allowed to be planted in the soil of your heart. And also been watered. You come to the house of God and the seed of the word of God is watered. But then you go home and turn on Netflix and you water a different seed. And then you gossip with your friends and you water a different seed. And then you start meditating on what's wrong with your spouse and you water a different seed. And what happens in the thorny ground is that these other seeds start growing up thorns so that the seed of the kingdom, the stalk grows and the branches come out, but next to it there's stalk and stalk and stalk and there's five or six different stalks growing around it and it says the thorns Choke it so that it becomes unfruitful. That is, just as the seeds of the kingdom are about to bear fruit, the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of encounter with God, the fruit of kingdom life is about to come. But at that very moment, jealousy and greed and lust and envy begin to choke. That plant, that tree, so that it becomes unfruitful. You're so close to bearing fruit. You hear the word, you receive it, you even meditate on it. You turn on worship music and you cry. You're so close. You, you could be fruitful so quickly. And your fruit would be abundant. You just got other trees growing around the kingdom tree. And it's choking your fruit. God is inviting us to enter into this kingdom life. God is inviting us to receive Jesus the sower 
He's got an abundance of seed to sow into our hearts. We simply must be jealous to remove the stones and to remove the thorns so that the seed of the kingdom can go down deep into our hearts and grow unobstructed. The truth behind this entire parable is simply this. If the word of Jesus is allowed to settle deep into your heart and to grow there unobstructed by stones or thorns, you don't have to try and you don't have to cry. You don't have to pray 18 hours a day. You know what will happen? That seed will just grow naturally as you give your undivided attention to the word of Jesus, as you meditate on it day and night, as you value it beyond anything else, the roots are going to grow deep. The shoot is going to come out of the ground. The branches are going to spread. And the fruit is going to form. 30, 60, and 100 fold. And all you have to do is treasure the word. Value the word. Guard the word. Guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to your care. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. How many times have I seen people receive a word that would set them free and I've watched as a thorn has choked it out. I've watched as stones have crowded it out. I've watched as birds have eaten it off the ground. I've, I've seen it happen again and again and again. And you know what? I've experienced it in my own life. But if we would simply make a decision... Nothing's going to rob me, not only of this seed, but of the fruit that will come. And so today the Spirit of God is calling us to remove the stones and to root out the thorns. I know you think, I don't, for a while as they grow up together, it feels like, hey, this isn't affecting this at all. It will. It will. You've got to root it out. You've got to root out those thorns. You've got to remove those, those stones. And today I believe the Spirit of God is coming to give us the power to remove the thorns, to remove the stones, to replow our heart so that that seed of the Word of God can go deep, can dwell, can be watered unobstructedly, and it will bring us into the fullness of kingdom life. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing today over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. We are all hearers, all of us. Lord, you ended the parable by saying, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him who has an ear to hear. If anyone has ears, if you got two things on the side of your head called ears, hear. But Lord, some of us have physical ears, but no spiritual ears. And some of us have ears to hear, but we've got stones in our heart. We've got thorns in the soil of our heart. Speak to us today. Some of us don't realize that the bitterness that we carry in our hearts towards our spouse, towards our parents, towards our friends, we think it has nothing to do with our walk with you, but it has everything to do with our walk with you. Sometimes we don't realize how we can get distracted 
even the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are so deceitful. They're deceitful because at first they seem like a blessing from you, but if we allow them to become, they will become the greatest distraction. All of a sudden we don't have any time to seek your face. We don't have any value for your word anymore because we're too distracted by our success. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things come to choke out the word. But Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would give us the power to dig up those weeds and to remove those stones so that the soil of our hearts might be good soil. Speak to every heart right now. Speak to every soul right now. Dig up those stones. Dig up those weeds. Dig up, dig up those thorns. Get them out of your heart. There's no time. There's no time to waste. Some of us need to make a decision right now. I'm not allowing this to dwell in my heart for another second, not another day, not another minute, not another minute. Get it out. Get it out. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you'd speak to every heart. Come on. I want you to just pray right now and talk to God right now. Deal with God. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. God, remove these stones from my heart. Remove these thorns from my heart. Remove these weeds from my heart. Some of you experience that on a micro scale where every time you're walking with God and everything's going well and you're seeking God and everything's going well and you feel like you're growing with Christ, something happens and it disconnects you and all of a sudden you feel more disconnected than ever. It's a stone or it's a weed or it's a thorn. It's something. Some of you think that your thorn is a person. You think your thorn is a wife or a husband or a friend or a boss. You think it's my husband that pulls me out. It's my wife. No, a thorn is not a person. What is it in your heart that allows that person to disconnect you from the presence of God? Is it fear? Is it jealousy? Is it unbelief? Whatever it is, that thing in your heart. Listen, if you have no stones or no thorns in your heart, tribulation can come and it can't disconnect you. Persecution can come and it can't disconnect you. Wealth can come and it won't disconnect you. Life will happen to you on all sides, but nothing will separate you from the love of God. That's what it's like to live without stones and without thorns. It means nothing can separate me from that life-giving presence of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. No tribulation or persecution or peril or nakedness or famine or sword. In all these things we are more than a conqueror through him who loved us i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord but only 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 if in our hearts we've removed the stones and we've removed the thorns because if my heart is thorny and stony persecution will separate me if my heart is stony or thorny, tribulation will separate me. Peril will separate me. Nakedness will separate me. Sword will separate me. But i got to get the stones and the thorns out of my heart. God is speaking to you saying, you know what those thorns are. You know what those stones are. you got to get serious about getting the stones. See, the problem is we spend so much of our effort trying to get the seed of the kingdom to grow and so little of our effort trying to get rid of the stones and the thorns. The seed of the kingdom will grow of its own. Just read Mark 4, 26. 
where he said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who scattered seed and went to sleep and woke up in the morning and the seed had grown of its own and he didn't know how. First the shoot, then the blade, and then the harvest. That's how the kingdom of God is. You don't have to make it grow any more than you got to make a tree grow. Any more than you got to stand under an apple tree and go, come on apples! That's what it's like for believers to be, come on God, righteousness! Come on God, give me some peace! You don't have to pray for that. You don't have to seek that. But what you got to do is get rid of the stones. Get rid of the thorns. The stuff that will choke out the seed. The seed of the kingdom is so powerful. It will grow on its own. It's so natural if you continue receiving the words of Jesus and just letting them dwell richly in your heart. Huh. It'll empower you to pray. It'll inspire you to pray. It's not that you don't have, it's not that you shouldn't pray. But it's when that seed grows and it empowers you to pray. It's when that seed grows. The prayer life is the fruit that grows on the tree, not the water that makes the tree grow. God is speaking to you right now. And I know it feels like it's impossible to get rid of those stones. Some of you, you feel like I've got some thorns in my life that I've tried for so long to remove and I can't seem to re remove. Paul talks about it in Romans 8. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You know what he says? He's literally saying, if there's something in your life that you need to put to death, the Holy Spirit will put the sword in your hand, and then the Holy Spirit will take your hand and put it to death. By the Spirit, God is able to empower you to remove the stones and to remove the thorns. And I believe by the Spirit that he's doing it right now because this is the word of the kingdom. These words that I'm speaking to you today, this is the word of the kingdom. And if you receive it and allow your heart to open, not allowing the stones of unbelief to crowd out this word, but receiving it and guarding it and meditating on it, it'll bear the fruit of freedom in your life. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak blessing and encouragement over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours. Strengthen and encourage each one. Let every heart be plowed and prepared to receive this word as seed. Let it be watered by your presence. Let it grow and bear fruit, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. We give you all glory and honor in the name of your son, Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, some of you need to drop a testimony. Some of you need to say, here's the thorn that I need to get rid of. Some of you need to say, here's the stones that need to be removed from my heart. Would you pray with me? Some of you need to click request prayer right now and let somebody pray with you right now to remove those stones, to remove those thorns from your heart. I believe God is going to do a powerful work. And also, this is not a one-time thing. Like you pray right now and the, the, the thorn is gone, the stone is gone. That's really what community groups are all about. You get into the community group and you share in your community groups. Here's the thorns I'm trying to get rid of. Here's the stones. And would you all pray with me? And, and, and suddenly we're encouraging one another and we're walking together. And God is progressively and increasingly growing the seed of the kingdom and removing the thorns and stones of the world. And all of a sudden, we're growing deeper and deeper into that kingdom life. Nothing is, is hindering our fruit. And that's the life that God's called us to live. God bless you today.